With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The 2020 MLB season will be one like any other that we have seen before. A 60-game sprint in just over two months to decide who will be playing in October in a format that lends itself to the unpredictable. But that's where Greg Peterson comes in. He's got you covered daily, highlighting elements and angles that will be essential to know along with his picks with every single game on every single day. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. Hey, warm hello. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a great show for you as we're going to be talking in the second segment with Matt Pauley. He does an absolutely terrific job with Brewers pre- and post-game work. You can sometimes find him hosting for what used to be SB Nation Radio. It is now known as Sports Map. And he also does some anchoring with them, doing their updates, everything like that. So we're going to have a good chat with him in the second segment about the Milwaukee Brewers, the scuffles of Christian Yelich as he right now has one hit in like 28 or 29 plate appearances so far this year. We're going to be talking to him just about how the Milwaukee Brewers are a team that are a little bit ahead of their time with regards to the way that they've been using their pitchers the last couple years and how that's working for so many other teams. Just a logistical nightmare that the Miami Marlins have presented and how a division winner might be awarded if these teams don't wind up all playing 60 games. So, going to have a nice chat there in the final segment. I'm going to be giving you guys a side in total on every game on Friday's Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. First things first, always love to be able to answer your Twitter questions. If there's something that you'd like answered on this podcast, fire that into my timeline at JarenScore41. If you fire these via direct message, AKDM, well, letters DM to me mean does not matter. Did get in one today, so let's get into it. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. I get this one in from Carl with a K, and you can follow him on Twitter at KrugNation. 
which is spelled K-R-U-G, and then the word nation. He has at GNRSquirty1. I know you have your methods, but why have you looked into first five? Lots of values, and you could take the uncertainty out of bullpens of a lot of these teams. And the big thing is, for one, you used to be able to do that with first fives. As we're finding out right now, a lot of these starters are not able to give you five innings. So there is that, and I've always been one of these people. I do it with college basketball. I do it with the NFL. I do it with pretty much every sport that I bet. It is one of these things where I want the bigger sample size because whenever you take a first five bet, a first inning bet, what have you, the smaller the sample size, the more likely it is that one wonky play, one bad pitch, one error, you list whatever scenario is going on that it completely derails your whole bet. I know that a lot of people say that these bullpens are very volatile and it's hard to predict them. That's why I take a look at things like bullpen ERAs, which guys are untrustworthy. It's a big reason why I'm probably going to be looking at feeding the Chicago Cubs a lot on the road because we saw what Craig Kimbrell did a couple days ago. And then there are other teams that you can trust a little bit more in the ninth inning, like the San Diego Padres whenever they're able to send in Kirby Yates, the Milwaukee Brewers when Josh Hader is on his game, and so much more. So it is one of these things where I actually take into account in my handicapping the bullpens. So it is a big reason why I continue to go full game instead of first five. And we've just seen it so far this year with so many of these games. What happens in the first five is not what happens for the full game. So it could be one of these spots in which I wind up handicapping it correctly for the full game. And if I would have taken the first five, it would have just been completely off. And I do think that it is one of these things where if you don't want to handicap the bullpens, you want to go first five. If you're like myself, you want to go full game. It's just different methods for different people. It works a little bit better for me. I'm sure that there are many of you guys listening that you're mainly listening for my breakdowns of the starting pitcher. So that way you can fire in on the first five for a side, a total, what have you. So it, to each their own, it's just one of these things where it works out better with my situation and I just feel a little bit more secure taking the bigger sample size. So I do appreciate the question and I appreciate the fact that we do have Major League Baseball in our lives. So let's take a look back at everything that we noticed yesterday in the MLB. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. The Toronto Blue Jays were the home team in Washington, D.C. as they wound up taking on the Nationals and the Nationals in front of a crowd of zero were able to win in Washington, D.C. as a road team by a count of 6-4. If you think that sounds weird, well, congratulations. It is 2020, but for the Washington Nationals, they were able to get to hinge in Rue. For Rue, he winds up going in this one, four and a third innings. He gives up five runs, all of which were earned. He was just getting absolutely tattooed in this one, and he wound up giving up a home run in the process. Going deep for the Washington Nationals, Michael A. Taylor for his second of the campaign, and for the Washington Nationals, three of ten with runners in scoring position. That had really been a wolf for them. And for the Washington Nationals, what has been a wolf for the team for a very long time as bullpen, but they come in for a combined five and two-thirds innings. They give up two runs in the process. They were able to use all their bullpen arms because, as we found out, because of everything that's going on with the Miami Marlins and COVID-19, they're going to have the weekend off. So, and congratulations to the Washington Nationals there. Eric Fetty wound up only being able to give the team three and a third innings. He gave up two runs in the process, including a home run. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, I mean, the fact that they've now got, I believe it's nine solo home runs in their last four games is pretty impressive as Teoscar Hernandez now has four home runs this week. He wound up going deep twice in this game, one off of Eric Fetty Wap. Yes, you saw what I did there. And one off of Tanner Rainey. And then Kevon Biggio was able to get a home run in this one as well. But with that said for the Toronto Blue Jays, it was just Injun Rue that didn't have a good start in this one. You also had Wilmer Font come out of the bullpen and he gave up a run. But by and large, four and two-thirds innings for this Toronto Blue Jays bullpen. They give up one run. They wound up doing their job. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, seven men left on base in this game as well. For the Minnesota Twins, they wound up leaving everyone on base because they wound up driving in zero runs. They wind up losing to the Cleveland Indians by a count of two to zero. How about Shane Bieber? 
Bieber. I've got Shane Bieber fever on this podcast. Eight scoreless innings. He now has 27 strikeouts in his first two starts of the year. This guy was masterful. Eight complete innings. He winds up not giving up a single run. From there, you wound up being able to get a save out of James Karnczak. He was able to do a solid job there for the Cleveland Indians. The difference in this game was a home run in the third inning off the bat of Francisco Lindor, second of the campaign. One, Jose Barrios typically pitches better at home than he does on the road. And in this one, he was okay. I mean, five innings, he gives up two runs, that two-run shot to Francisco Lindor. And then from there, you had to like what you saw on the bullpen. Louis Sorp gives the Twins two scoreless innings along with Zach Littell. But for the Minnesota Twins, scored three runs or fewer in three out of their last five games. This for a very high-powered offense, so they certainly weren't able to get the job done there. Speaking of a team that wasn't able to get the job done, the Baltimore Orioles. If you were like me and you took the plus money with them, oh, goodness gracious. They were up 6-5 going into the ninth inning. There was a long rain delay. You had nine runs in the first two innings of this game. You had no runs until the eighth. Pedro Severino is able to get a two-run home run in the eighth inning. That was off of Jonathan Loisega. And then in this game, Jay Happ, he really got roughed up. He wound up going four innings. He gave up four runs, including two bombs. Hanser Alberto was able to hit one of those for the Baltimore Orioles. And then you also had Rio Ruiz go yard. And for the Yankees, they certainly got to John Means for five runs in the first inning. The man that was really able to do a lot with that was Luke Voigt, a grand slam home run for him, his second of the campaign. But what was the difference in this game? Aaron Judge in the ninth inning, he is able to get his second home run of the year. As trying to close out this game was former Tampa Bay Ray, Cole Sulzer. He winds up giving it up in this one. Very rough go. But as for the Baltimore Orioles, you had John Means go two and a third innings. He gives up five runs, all of which were earned. Trey Lankins and the rest of this bullpen actually did a good job. Prior to Sulzer coming into the game, they wound up going a grand total of five and two-thirds innings of scoreless baseball. So they were able to do a good job there, but... With that said, just a little bit of a tough beat and to be expected from the Baltimore Orioles. And this is not to be expected. The Boston Red Sox giving you a very good outing with regards to their pitching. For the first time in, I believe, six games, the team total for the other side of Boston's game wound up staying under as the Red Sox get a 4-2 win. Christian Vasquez provide the offense for the team. Two home runs in this one. is third and fourth of the campaign. He is tied for the league lead along with Teoscar Hernandez. He was able to give the team three RBI. Jose Peraza added another one. And for one, Martin Perez. Not a bad start in this one. Five and two-thirds innings. He gives up two runs. And the much maligned Boston Red Sox bullpen made up of Brandon Workman, Matt Barnes, and Heath Embry. A combined three and a third innings and they evade danger, not giving up any runs. For the New York Mets, Steven Matz not necessarily on his game in this one. Five and a third innings, he gives up three runs. Edwin Diaz was a hot mess in this one. He wound up giving up two walks. He gave up a run in a third of an inning. He had to be pulled after using 35 pitches. From there, you had to wind up going to Paul Sewell to be able to hold down the fort and give the Mets a chance in this one. And Jersich Familia, Spanish for blown safe, actually had a nice outing in this one. And what was a big bugaboo for the Mets, nine men left on base, one of ten with Ben in scoring position. For the Tampa Bay Rays, the offense was a bugaboo for this team as they just weren't able to play any runs against the Atlanta Braves. They wind up losing by kind of 2-1. to one. For the Atlanta Braves, Max Fried was terrific in this game. Six and two-thirds innings, he gives up one run, seven punch-outs in the process. Luke Jackson, along with Shane Green and Mark Melanson, were able to piecemeal the final two and a third innings together, and they were able to get the win. And for the Atlanta Braves, they get two runs in the second inning, and that's all they needed. And for Ryan Yarbrough, a little bit of a tough luck loser here. Six and a third innings, he gives up two hits, two runs. I mean, not much more you could do there. Gave up a couple too many walks, but with that said, solid performance. Jalen Beeks was able to give the team five outs as well, but 
You also had Mark Broussel wind up getting picked off in this game. That certainly didn't help out the cause as the Tampa Bay Rays. Just one of two with men in scoring position. They were able to get a couple hits, five in total, but they just weren't able to get men in scoring position. Terrific pitching in that game. Some good pitching from the Kansas City Royals as they wind up taking down the Detroit Tigers by a count of five to three. For the Royals, you've got a young starter from the College of Florida and Brady Singer that once again gave a pretty solid start in this one. Five innings, gives up two runs. He did wind up giving up two solo home runs as the Detroit Tigers all of a sudden have a little bit of pop in their bat as Miguel Cabrera wound up hitting one of his home runs off of Singer. He also went deep off of Ian Kennedy later in the game. His second and third of the campaign. Jonathan Scope also wound up taking Singer deep, but Ivan Supernova solid start in this one. He winds up giving up two runs over the course of five and two-thirds innings, but as predicted, the Detroit Tigers bullpen, not necessarily great in this one. They go three and a third innings, giving up a total of three runs. Carson Fulmer, eh, he just has never been able to materialize in the big leagues. He winds up giving up two runs over the course of an inning, and for the Kansas City Royals. They did not wind up getting any home runs in this one, but how about Greg Holland, Ian Kennedy, and Trevor Rosenthal all going at least an inning apiece of scoreless baseball. Aside from Ian Kennedy giving up that home run, they were able to be solid. And for the Kansas City Royals, 3 of 15 with men in scoring position, so they certainly had their opportunities. They had just enough conversions to be able to get the win in this one. A team that was unable to convert with men in scoring position, that would be the Arizona Diamondbacks. They wind up losing to the LA Dodgers by kind of 6 of 3. In this one for the Arizona Diamondbacks, you wound up getting a home run off the bat of Cattell Marte, his first of the season, and he's been doing a good job as you wound up having three hitters in the Arizona Diamondbacks starting lineup that wound up leaving this game hitting above a 300. Every other starter, now I say that because you had Ildemero Vargas wind up getting a pinch hitting appearance. He is hitting at 222, but six of the starters for the Arizona Diamondbacks hit below the Mendoza line coming out of this game. So that's not good. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, Robbie Ray once again just jacked up his pitch count. Four and two-thirds innings. He gives up five runs, all of which were earned. He had four strikeouts, six walks, gave up two home runs, 94 pitches in the process. Going deep for the L.A. Dodgers. How about A.J. Pollock, his first of the year? And then you also had Corey Seager getting his second of the campaign. Later on in the game, Max Muncy would be able to add his third job of the year. That wound up coming off of Alex Young, as Alex Young wound up giving up a run. But by and large, the bullpen of the Diamondbacks was not bad. Four and a third innings, they give up just one run. But for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they just weren't able to get to Ross Stripling. We had a good start in this one. Five and a third innings, he gives up three runs. Bullpen from there, they're able to go three and two-thirds innings of scoreless baseball. And Joe Kelly pitched in this game. Everyone's new favorite hero. He wound up having a scoreless inning in this one. That warmed the heart of so many. And the Dodgers back on a winning streak. They have now won three straight games. A team that all of a sudden has won two in a row. And in the words of good old Lou Brown from Major League, if you win three in a row, it's called a win streak. It has happened before. We saw it from the Seattle Mariners at the beginning of the 2019 season, and they might be able to do it here in 2020. They take down the LA Angels by a count of 8-5. to five. What's notable here for the Angels is the fact that Mike Trout was not playing in this game due to paternity leave. He is going to be a father soon, so... Congratulations to Mike Trout, and thank you for helping out my bet here with the Seattle Mariners. You had the baby at just the right time, so I do appreciate it. And for the Seattle Mariners, pair of bombs in this one. Shedlong Jr. was able to get his first of the campaign, and then you got a man with a very fun name to say, and hopefully I'm saying it correctly. Jose Mamaleos. He winds up going yard for his first home run of the campaign, the former Washington National. As for the Seattle Mariners, 4 of 7 with men in scoring position, and one Marco Gonzalez. A terrific start in this one. He gives up two runs, but they are unearned over the course of six and a third innings. 
Carl Edwards Jr., formerly of the Chicago Cubs, was able to get a hold in this one. And then in the ninth inning, Dan Altavia wound up getting into a little bit of trouble. He winds up giving up three runs, including a bomb for the LA Angels. Going deep in this one, up on Max Stassi off of Gonzalez, his second of the campaign. And Joey Otani, second home run in as many games off of Altavia. But Dylan Bundy looked like the Dylan Bundy that we all know and love for the Baltimore Orioles. He gave up three runs in the first inning to the Seattle Mariners. And then the Mariners, a five spot in the ninth inning as Anselmo Robles winds up giving up four runs and he recorded one out. That's not necessarily good. And he was replaced from there by Kyle Keller who wound up giving up a run out of the bullpen as well. And then you wound up wrapping up the night with an extra inning game between the San Diego Padres and the San Francisco Giants. The Padres win by a count that you wouldn't think you'd get in extra innings. 12-7 to in this one as the Padres put up a 6 spot in the 10th inning. This after the San Francisco Giants wind up getting a combined 5 runs in the 7th and 8th inning. In order to force extra innings, this was just an absolutely wild and crazy game. And what's absolutely wild and crazy about it is the fact that you only had one home run in this game. Jerickson Profar was able to get a home run earlier in this game. But past that, it was just both of these teams doing a good job of hitting with men's scoring position for the Padres. 9 of 22 in those spots as they just completely pulverize the bullpen. Kevin Gosman for the San Francisco Giants gets a start. Four and a third innings gives up three runs, all of which were earned. But then from there, the bullpen winds up giving up a grand total of nine runs, eight of which were earned in five and two-thirds innings. And for the Giants, they did the exact opposite. They hit two of 15 with men in scoring position. They leave 13 men on base. That certainly was not necessarily great for this team, but how about what Mikey Stremski is doing? He wound up having another RBI in this game. He wound up hitting for a triple. Donovan Solano, three doubles, so... There were certainly a lot of extra base hits by the San Francisco Giants as they wound up being able to get to Denelson Lamette for this one with regards to a pitch count standpoint. Lamette winds up going five innings. He gives up four walks, seven strikeouts, and he wound up stranding eight men on base in those five innings. And then from there, the Padres bullpen wound up having their issues. Kirby Yates apparently was not available for this game. And as a result, the San Diego Padres wind up giving up six runs, five of which were earned over the course of five innings. So that is what we all saw from Major League Baseball on Thursday. Now let's turn the page forward to Friday. Let's get a little bit of a Brewers perspective on things. Matt Pauley, he does pre and post game work for the Milwaukee Brewers. He works with Sports Map doing some radio show hosting along with some anchoring and so much more. We're going to be talking to him about the struggles of Christian Yelich, the Brewers in general, and how they're a team that was a little bit ahead of their time with starters not going four plus innings in a lot of their starts and just what he sees from the season in general. And that's on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we are back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, and it's great to be joined by our next guest. This man does a little bit of everything. ESPN Milwaukee at 620 WTMJ is where you're able to hear more of his Milwaukee Brewers pre and post game hosting as he does a little bit of that. And now obviously the Milwaukee Brewers and all the other baseball teams have not tested positive for COVID-19 are back into our lives. He also does some work with Sports Map, formerly known as SB Nation Radio. They've changed the thing a couple times. I actually used to intern for them when they were known as Yahoo Sports Radio. So he does some work over there. He works with the UW-Green Bay Phoenix women's basketball team with regards to play-by-play work. And you can follow him on Twitter, at Matt Pauly on air, as it is Matt Pauly joining me on the podcast. And Pauly spells P-A-U-L-E-Y. Matt, great to have you aboard. How are you? Hey, Greg, I'm good. How are you doing? 
I'm doing terrific. Thank you so much for joining me. And the team that you do pre and post game work, the Milwaukee Brewers, I would say it's so, so start to the season. Obviously, it was nice to see them get two wins out there in Pittsburgh. But with that said, obviously, there has to be a little bit of concern with Christian Yelich. We saw him not necessarily look as sharp as when it came to summer camp. And so far this year, he is hitting below 50. That's not below, like, 500. That's below 0.50 so far this year. What has really been the issues with him? Because we all remember him during the 2018 season being so magnificent down the stretch. Obviously, before getting injured in 2019, he really anchored the Brewers. And this year, he just has not gotten off to a good start. Yeah, I don't know if it's timing. I don't know if he's not seeing the ball well. I mean, he's 1 for 27. That's an 0.37 average. And he's got 12 strikeouts. This is not somebody who strikes out very often. And what we're all trying to figure out right now, and maybe we can answer this question a little bit better, say, a week from now, what we're trying to figure out is just a slump that every baseball player goes through, and it just so happens that he's slumping in the first six games of the season, so it's even more pronounced, especially in the first six games of what's a 60-game season, so it puts even more of a spotlight on it. Or is there something more to it? Is it coming off of summer camp where it's a very short amount of time to get ready for the year? Is there not the same protection in the lineup for him anymore? Playing in empty ballparks, does that take some of the intensity away? I think it's a little early to be going over those things that I just mentioned because he's still Christian Yelich. He's still the guy who led the National League in hitting each of the last two years. But to people who are having those conversations right now, I understand why, because the numbers are the numbers. I always like to use the Jay-Z quote, quote, men lie, women lie, numbers don't. And the numbers are very clear. One for 27, 12 strikeouts. It's just not there right now for him. It certainly has not. But what, what has been there for the Milwaukee Brewers is just some absolutely wild and crazy game to start the year. We all remember the game earlier in the week in which they come back from down four runs in the ninth inning, tie it up, winning the 11th. And then the day after, they wind up blowing a four-run lead themselves. What have you made out of this Milwaukee Brewers team so far this year? Because you've got Lorenzo Cain, who looks much healthier than he did during the 2019 season. You can tell that just throughout 2019. He was not himself. He looks a little bit better. Kessin Hira has been able to hit a couple home runs. Things seem to be coming around for him. But just in general, this Milwaukee Brewers team seems to be very feast or famine with the bats because they have been able to get some deep flies so far this year. But at the same time, they're just hiding they're just not hitting for average. Yeah, they're hitting 198 right now, and that's not good. They've only got two players who are hitting above 300, Orlando Arcia, and a large part of that. He went in the first game of the season against the Cubs when they were facing Kyle Hendricks. He went three for three in that game. Those were the only three hits for the Brewers. The rest of the team goes over his 357 average. He's got five total hits, so more than half coming from that first game of the season. And then, as you mentioned, Lorenzo Cain, he's been the best guy at the plate right now. You've had moments from Keston Hira. He has the two home runs. You've had moments from Ben Gamble. Ryan Braun came up with a big hit the other day in that comeback victory. But overall, I mean, this team is going to win swinging the bat. They're a team built upon their offense. And a lot of guys right now just are not doing what they're being asked to do. It's been a tough start for Justin Smoke. He was brought in to be a very big part of this team. And he's hitting 174 right now with four hits. He does have a home run. That's his one RBI. So Justin Smoke is struggling. Omar Narvaez, I've been big on him. I've been singing the praises of Narvaez this entire offseason because he was the guy who was being asked to replace the offensive production of Yasmani Grandal. And while you might not be able to do that because Grandal is one of the best offensive catchers in Major League Baseball, 
Narvaez should be just a step behind, and he's a one for as well. He's one for 12 to get things started. So he's hitting 083, just barely in front of Christian Yelich. So there's a lot of guys right now who are not doing what they need to do at the plate. I'm right there with you, and it certainly has been an adventure with this team, to say the least, as we do have Matt Paul, who does pre- and post-game work for the Milwaukee Brewers, joining me on the podcast. And with the Milwaukee Brewers, they're going to be taking on the St. Louis Cardinals in what is going to be the first game that is going to be played from a time standpoint on Friday. And it's really interesting. You take a look at Jack Flaherty over his last 17 starts. He has a 1.03 ERA. He has been lights out. The one team that's been able to figure him out, though, is the Milwaukee Brewers. He's faced the Brewers twice in that time span. He wound up losing in both those matchups. In those 17 starts, he has allowed multiple runs in four of them. Two times a game against the Milwaukee Brewers. And for the Brewers, they're going to be trotting out their Brad Anderson, who wound up starting the year on the injured list. He comes over from the Oakland A's. And while he was with the Oakland A's, very serviceable pitcher. Certainly not a guy that's going to get a bunch of swings and misses. Certainly not a guy that's he's going to be coming out there and throwing like 95-plus miles per hour or anything like that. But with that said, an 18 out of his last 21 starts to end the 2019 season, Gave up three runs or fewer. What do you anticipate in this one? Because I do think that Jack Flaherty is going to be Jack Flaherty. But I think that Brett Anderson could be able to hold the team in the game as well. Length is an issue with Anderson coming off the injury. He had a blister on his finger. Now, he was at the alternate training site, which is in Appleton, Wisconsin, where the team normally has their low A squad in the Midwest League. He did pitch the other day, but expecting a lot of length out of Anderson might be expecting a little bit too much. In fact, they have not named a pitcher for Saturday, and the reason they haven't done that is because they want to have some insurance in terms of length on Friday in case Anderson is not able to go deep into the game. Someone who may be in the mix to start on Saturday could potentially have to pitch out of the bullpen on Friday. So things are kind of up in the air in terms of who the starter is going to be at day later it's kind of funny you know Anderson his career has kind of gone against the baseball trends because when he was a young guy he was a strikeout pitcher and that's when baseball was focusing on pitch to contact get ground balls well it's the exact opposite now baseball is all about strikeouts right and now he's that pitch to contact get ground ball kind of guy if he can stay healthy and he's already been on the injured list once this year I think he's a little bit more than even serviceable he was the number two starter if he hadn't been injured he was going to be the number two starter behind Brandon Woodruff so he's got the ability to be a pretty good starter in Major League Baseball uh, doing things a little bit different than what the trend is for starting pitchers right now or just pitching overall but the big question for him is just that ability to stay healthy I totally agree with you on Brett Anderson, and we've been seeing this trend in Major League Baseball for 2020 as well. Starting pitchers not going as deep. This is something that the Milwaukee Brewers already have a lot of practice with. We saw it during the 2019 campaign. Obviously, you're getting some good starts right now out of Brandon Woodruff. The fact that he gave them six and a third strong innings in that shutout against Pittsburgh a few days ago, that was absolutely terrific. But we've seen the Brewers have to piecemeal like 18 plus outs out of the bullpen in quite a few of their starts. Josh Lindblom, when he went up against Pittsburgh Pirates, he was unable to get out of the fourth. Freddie Peralta, he wound up getting lit up against the Chicago Cubs. Now, Adrian Hoser has been a guy that ever since the end of the 2019 season, after a rough start as a starter during the 2019 campaign, he's been able to do a little bit of something. But we're seeing a lot of teams wind up taking this Milwaukee Brewers approach just because to begin the year, a lot of guys they had to try to ramp up in three weeks. They haven't necessarily been successful. So you're seeing a bunch of three and four inning starts out there in Major League Baseball. We're seeing it with the Milwaukee Brewers. And if there's a team that's equipped to it and a team that might have an advantage this year as a result, I do think it is the Brewers just because when you take a look at this lineup, you've got guys like Brett Suter and company that they're able to come in. They're able to give you two innings. Even a guy like a Josh Hader who's made 
a lot of multiple inning saves throughout his career. These are the guys that are used to this. Meanwhile, a lot of teams, it feels like they're in a little bit of transition with just the strangest that 2020 is bringing. Yeah, there's a lot going on and a lot what you just alluded to. So let me address some of it. First off, I think the most important thing here, and you did kind of allude to it, is the Brewers are more equipped to play baseball the way it's being played right now, where you've got that short summer camp period so teams are not getting some of the length out of their starters that they normally would get. Now, as we get another few weeks, a month into the season, those teams are going to be hoping that some of their starters who are used to going seven, eight innings are going to be able to do that. But for now, here at the beginning of the season, while that's not what strengths of other teams, that is a strength of the Brewers. That's how they're built. They're built on using a bunch of guys who are going to go throw you five, six innings, and then you hand things off to the bullpen. So the Brewers are kind of able to play more their brand of baseball from the start where other teams, I think you use the word transition, I think that's a good word, while other teams are kind of slowly transitioning into who they actually are. I think the bigger thing, though, I'm really curious to see. There's been a lot of injuries already with pitchers. There's been a number of pitchers this year who have just simply been not very good in games. And to me, that's all kind of connected to the very quick summer camp period. And look, I understand that they were most of these guys, if not all these guys, were staying in pretty good shape and were throwing when everything was shut down. But there's a difference between keeping your arm in shape and having the intensity and ramping up to facing major league competition. And you don't even get that in a three-week period. There were some teams that didn't play any exhibition games. Some teams played one, two. I think the Yankees played three. And I don't think I remember seeing anybody who played more than three exhibition games. I think right now we're seeing an issue in major league baseball with pitchers ramping up intensity at a speed that they normally don't do. And I am concerned about injuries this year. And Greg, I'm really concerned about injuries next season because guys are not going to throw the number of innings this year that they normally do. And that can result in injuries next year, depending on how much they throw. If you increase your workload by a certain percentage, once you cross this threshold, it really goes up exponentially on the percentage chance of you being injured. I'm really cognizant and I'm, I'm really concerned about the impact that the short ramp up period is having and will continue to have on pitchers. And I think that's an absolutely excellent point that you bring up for next year as we do have Matt Pauly joining me on the podcast, having to go from a 60-game season to a 162-game season. That's going to affect everyone, including starting pitchers. So I am right there with you as well. And just looking at the season in general for 2020, I just feel like things are absolutely haywire with regards to these divisions as well because we are seeing that the Miami Marlins testing positive for COVID. It's having ripple effects because on Thursday we saw a pair of Philadelphia Phillies. They wind up testing positive for COVID-19. As a result, their weekend series winds up getting travel. It winds up getting canceled, and they were supposed to play pretty much one of those NL versus AL series as well. So the Miami Marlins and the fact that they're not playing this week, it's affecting teams in the American League as the New York Yankees were off for a couple days. They wind up having to play the Baltimore Orioles for a couple days. I'm sure that the New York Yankees are not complaining about the fact that they get to play the Baltimore Orioles a little bit more often rather than, say, any other team out there in the league. But it certainly is wreaking havoc with the schedule, and it just seems to me like there might be a couple teams that have a little bit more of an advantage versus others with regards to the schedule. And who knows if we're even going to be able to have all these teams 
play a set amount of games when it's all said and done because every team was supposed to play 60. We might have a situation in which we have to wind up awarding the division crown based on win percentage or something wonky like that. Yeah, I think that's the way you should actually go. And Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association did agree to stage seven inning doubleheaders. So at least the games are not going to be quite as long. That's the way it's done in the minor leagues. But if the idea, they created the extra inning rules, yeah, in part to save pitching staffs, but also in part to make sure that ball players are not staying at a ballpark for just an obscene amount of time. All of a sudden, you, you've got these games that are not being played because of all those Marlins players testing positive for the coronavirus. To me, it feels like if you're going to try to go throw a bunch of doubleheaders in, just to get teams to 60 games. I don't feel like that decision is being made with health and safety being the utmost importance to Major League Baseball. And Rob Manfred has said, and I don't know if I believe him, but Rob Manfred has said that health and safety is paramount to him and paramount to Major League Baseball. Well, then why are you going to do doubleheaders? So I am of the belief that you get as many games as you can get in. I guess if you can make up some games in a, in a doubleheader that just makes a lot of sense, you know, if there's some off days before or after it, or if there is an off day you want to utilize, but even that, you're playing 60 games in 66 days. There's not a whole lot of off days there. I am in favor of going to winning percentage. It's not bothering the NBA. The NBA is coming back with the eight-game regular season for everybody, but not everybody going into that has played the same amount of games. I think the NBA has got it right. If I'm Major League Baseball, I'm not dying on the hill of everybody's got to play 60 games. And seven-inning doubleheaders are very artificial as well because you got some teams that they wind up playing all their games nine-plus innings. You obviously have the occasional rainout or two. We saw that opening night with the Yankees and the Washington Nationals, but I just can't stand the fact that you're able to strategize for a seven-inning game while the other teams are all strategizing for nine-plus inning games. That's just something that rubs me a little bit the wrong way. So I am right there with you with that regard. And Matt, obviously, we do have so much going on this year. Is there anything that you're really keeping your eye on? Because I mentioned a couple of things already on this podcast. What's happening with regards to these division standings, pitchers not being able to go deep. Is there anything else that you think is really important that's going to have a big impact on the season? I think the pitching stuff that we talked about earlier, to me, I am really concerned about the ramp up. And I think the other thing, when the Brewers are on the road, I don't travel with them. So they're six games in. They played the first six games. I watched those games on TV before doing the post-game show. I'm really excited to be in the ballpark coming up on Friday because right now it feels like these games are missing some intensity. You referenced the Brewers having played some kind of crazy games. They had the extra inning game. They had another game where they blew a late lead. Like there's been some really big moments and with no buzz in the crowd, I don't know what the players are really drawing upon to find that intensity that they need. And it just seems like something is missing. So I think one of the things I'm really going to be watching throughout the year are players and teams going to be able to find that that next level focus, that next level intensity that a lot of times you're drawing off the crowd to be able to find it. Or is it going to be the exact opposite? Are they already at that high point because the season has just gotten in our way? But again, playing the 60 games in 66 days, very few off days, is it actually going to go maybe in the other direction where just the monotony of showing up to the ballpark every day and dealing with everything that you got to deal with in a pandemic world, are we going to see maybe the intensity drop even further? So that's another thing that I'll be watching throughout the year. I'm right there with you. It certainly is one of these situations in which it's easy to get ramped up for the baseball season in the first couple of weeks. 
If you're, say, the Baltimore Orioles, you get out to like a 15 and 32 start. Is there really going to be much motivation to wind up playing out the string last couple of games of the season? That is something that I certainly have my eye on as well. And Matt, you do absolutely terrific work with a little bit of everything. SB Nation Radio has now become Sports Map Radio. You do some anchoring. You do some show hosting there. You do Milwaukee Brewers pre and post game. When it comes to the basketball side of things, you have involvement with the UW Green Bay Phoenix women's basketball team. So let the good people at home know where they're able to follow you on social media and just what you have coming up because it is a very busy schedule and you do a great job of maneuvering through all of it. Yeah, find me on Twitter at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. For Brewers fans out there, I'm on after every Brewers game on WTMJ Radio. WTMJ.com is the website. You can stream it as well. You know, Major League Baseball restrictions stop the streaming of the actual game so it doesn't switch back to live programming of my show on the stream until right as the show is going on air. But yeah, if you're a Brewers fan or if you happen to be watching a Brewers game and something happens and you want to hear post-game reaction, WTMJ.com. And 20, 25 minutes after that final pitch, I'm on the air hosting a post-game show. And Matt does a terrific job with all the roles that he has, including Milwaukee Brewers pre- and post-game work. So big thanks to Matt Pauley for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you a sign total on every game on the MLB betting board for Friday as we touch them all. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on Friday's Las Vegas MLB betting board as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at January one With some of these games, they are currently off the board, so I'm going to do my best with those. And there are quite a few games that were originally listed, and then they got pitchers that wound up getting switched, scratched, what have you. So we're going to do our best to keep things all in line, and we're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order as per usual. This begins with 901-902 on the betting board. You got the Milwaukee Brewers, and they're going to be playing host to the St. Louis Cardinals. It's almost as if we talked about this game a little bit. Captain Jack Flaherty is going to be going for the St. Louis Cardinals. I was hoping that the Brewers would go with someone whose first or last name is Morgan, so that way I could say that Captain Jack is going up against Captain Morgan. Instead, we get Brad Anderson. If you're looking at the Brewers, you're getting anywhere between plus 128 and plus 130. As you can tell that I'm deflated that we don't have Captain Jack versus Captain Morgan. But with that said, you've got a total on this game of 8.5. Over just a minus 120 to minus 115. Unders anywhere between even a minus 105. And this is certainly a spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, I did mention that Jack Flaherty has had a couple issues with the Milwaukee Brewers. But we just talked about it with Matt Pauley. The fact that this is a Brewers team that as a collective is hitting below the Mendoza line. That is not great. You lose Eric Thames, Mike Moussakis. Travis Shaw's not really a loss, but he's no longer on the team from the 2019 campaign. And this is a Milwaukee Brewers team that they've done a very solid job pitching. I will give them that. I do think that Brad Anderson is going to be able to give them a good start. He has went in 18 out of his last 21 innings, giving up three runs or fewer. And he typically gives you a little bit of length. He's someone that doesn't walk a lot of guys. So I do think that he can give the Brewers five here. But with Jack Flaherty, 1-0-3 ERA in his last 17 starts. He really doesn't give up the long ball too much. 
I think that this is just an absolutely superb spot for them with the St. Louis Cardinals. This is a team that all of a sudden they've been doing a good job of playing some unders each out of their last three games have went under the total. Though for the Cardinals, what you do have to keep in mind is that this offense is also not hitting very well. They're hitting right around 218 as a collective in each out of their last three games. Three runs or fewer for them. That's been a little bit of a doldrum. You got to think that Paul Goldschmidt is going to be a little bit better this year than he was during the 2019 campaign. And so far, so good. He's hitting a 316. But when you take a look at Harrison Bader, Matt Wieters, along with someone like Tyler O'Neill, all these guys are hitting at the Mendoza line or lower Colton Wong. Is off to a little bit of a rough start so far this year. Paul DeYoung hitting where he did last year, right around at 235. He was able to give the team 30-plus home runs, but this is certainly a team that they are a little bit bereft of hitting. I do think that Brad Anderson is going to be able to keep this game out in front of him, but I think that in the end, St. Louis, a team with, dating back to the 2019 campaign, a top-seven bullpen in the big leagues as compared to a Milwaukee Brewers team that you certainly have Josh Hader. You certainly have quite a few guys who are able to give you multiple innings, but they have been showing their warts as well. This is a spot in which I just think that Jack Flaherty is going to be too dominant in his first start of the year. Seven strong innings against the Pittsburgh Pirates. I think he does the same year. Very low scoring game and I have this written up for the New York Post as well. So if you're looking for information, it is there. But we're going to be going with the St. Louis Cardinals in this spot and we're going to be going with the total under as well. 903-904 on the betting board was supposed to be the Philadelphia Phillies and the Toronto Blue Jays. Ladies and gentlemen, this game is not being played because the Miami Marlins are a bunch of knuckleheads. So thanks for nothing, fish fry. We move on to 905-906 on the betting board. The Tampa Bay Rays are going to be hitting the road face off against the Baltimore Orioles. It's going to be Alex Cobb going for the Baltimore Orioles. Meanwhile, Blake Snell is going to be going for the Tampa Bay Rays. There was a little bit of a late announcement as to the starters in this game, which is why it is presently off the board. When it opened up at a couple offshore books, you had the Tampa Bay Rays north of a minus $2 favorite and a total on this game hovering right around 9.5. Going to be very intriguing to see. What happens with this line when it gets posted in the AM? Because Alex Cobb actually looked halfway decent in his first start. The Baltimore Orioles were able to get a rare win against the Boston Red Sox. And in that game, he actually looked pretty solid. Five and a third innings. He gave up one run. Now that one run was a home run. And as something that has haunted him the last couple years. As you take a look at what he did the 2019 campaign with the Baltimore Orioles, he made three starts. He had a 1095 ERA. So you go back to the year before in which he was a little bit more healthy. 490 ERA. Now, I will say, this is a former team game. So he has a little bit of history with the Tampa Bay Rays. He spent the first eight or so years of his career with the Tampa Bay Rays. So that is something that you do want to take into account. But this is certainly someone that he doesn't get a bunch of punch outs in that 2018 campaign. He was getting under six strikeouts per nine innings. He had a K to walk rate of a 2.4. He gives up a lot of contact. He was giving up over 10 hits per nine innings, five and 15 record. Absolutely putrid ever since he wound up leaving Tampa Bay. But for the Rays, I will say that their offense has been a little bit putrid as well. You take a look at this team, you're just not getting a lot out of the top of the fold in general. Tommy Pham in the offseason went to the San Diego Padres. You've got Yandy Diaz, who's right now hitting a buck 11. 385 on base, but a 111 batting average. I think that's very odd. Kevin Kiermaier is always a guy that doesn't necessarily hit for average. You're bringing Hunter Renfro in the offseason. He certainly gives you a little bit of pop, but... He's hitting the below the Mendoza line this year. Obviously, that's not too much of a surprise. And then the Tampa Bay Rays in the offseason went to Japan. 
Yashimoto Sutsogo comes over from them as he was a star out there in the MPB. So far this year, he's hitting just a 227. He's done a solid job of being able to take a couple walks, but with the Tampa Bay Rays team, other than really Joey Wendell and a guy that was doing some solid things at the beginning of the year, Brandon Lau, it's been a little bit of a rough go of it. And then with the Baltimore Orioles, they wind up putting four runs on the board in the first two innings of their game against the New York Yankees on Thursday. Obviously, it was a little bit of a helter-skelter game considering that you had that long rain delay, but this is a team that has a guy in Hanser Alberto that hit above a 300 last year. I like what he brings to the table. Now you still have our good buddy Chris Crush Davis, and the only thing that he's crushing is his ERA downward. He has not been hitting well so far this year. Anthony Santander, Pedro Severino, Dwight Smith Jr., Austin, the Sehays kid, they're all hitting a buck 76 or lower. That's certainly not going their way. And then you have a player that I think is going to be absolutely terrific someday in Cedric Mullins. He has as many hits as I do. So, I mean, it certainly is a rough situation for this team. And with Blake Sell, you just can't think that he's going to give you a lot of distance in this one. He wound up going two innings in his first start. I think he'll go a little bit longer than that. But even when he wound up winning his Cy Young two years ago, he wasn't a guy that necessarily was giving you like seven plus innings and was really a guy that would go 100 plus pitch. So I do think that that is a little bit intriguing. I'm probably going to be looking at an under in this spot, and I'm probably going to be looking at some form of a Tampa Bay Rays bet. But if you wind up seeing like plus 225 with the Baltimore Orioles, I might be stupid enough to take a shot. So check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41 for set plays there. 907-908 on the bang board is up next. Boston Red Sox hit the road to face off against the New York Yankees. For the Boston Red Sox, it is going to be Ryan Weber who is going to be taking the mound. And for the New York Yankees, you are going to be trotting out their young Jordan Montgomery. Your total on this game is anywhere between 10.5 and 11. If you're looking at the 10.5 over juice, minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at an 11, that under has juice of minus 120. And the over is even. And if you like the Boston Red Sox in this spot, well, you're getting anywhere between plus 180 and plus 190. With the Yankees, you're going to be finding them as low as minus 205, as high as a minus 220. And this is a spot in which I might be looking at a little bit of a bounce back for Ryan Weber. He got completely destroyed in his first start of the year. He wound up going up against the Baltimore Orioles. And he went three and two-thirds innings, giving up six runs, all of which were earned. Two long bombs. That certainly was not great. But you take a look at what he did during the 2019 season. 509 ERA. It wasn't necessarily great. He was used in long relief in a lot of spots, but it's probably going to wind up giving three, maybe four innings of length. I think it could be halfway decent. And this is a Boston Red Sox team that all of a sudden they put things together. They've won two straight games. That is something that you do like with this bunch. And then with the New York Yankees, Jordan Montgomery. What are you going to be able to get out of him? He's a lifetime 11 and 7 record. He's made 36 starts, but with that said, this is someone that during the 2019 season, he made one start. 2018, he made six. He is coming off some massive injuries the last couple years. So, I mean, it's really a jury's out situation with what you're going to be able to get out of him. In 2017, it looked like he was a rising star, but now you really have your questions. Now, I will say this with the New York Yankees as well, because they wound up playing that very, very awkward game with the Baltimore Orioles on Thursday. They are going to be getting back to their home ballpark a little bit late, so that could throw things for a little bit of a loop. You wound up needing to use Adam Adovino on Thursday. They wound up going to the bullpen for Jonathan Luizaga for some long relief after Jay Happ was unable to give them five, so you gotta think that some of your guys, like your Tommy Canelys and company, are going to be available, but with the Boston Red Sox, Christian Vasquez, four home runs in his first seven games of the season. He's starting to swing a very good bat. Now, you do have a couple guys that they do need to pick it up a little bit. Xander Bogarts has been a little bit banged up to begin the year. He wound up going one of four and is hitting below the Mendoza line so far this year. But you've been able to get something out of Kevin Pillar, who's hitting a 444. Don't think anyone saw that coming. 
Alex Verdugo has been able to hit a 333. Very nice addition from the LA Dodgers. Andrew Benatendi is hitting a 095. That is not necessarily great. And Rafael Devers below the Mendoza line. But I think that these guys are going to be able to pick it up. I think that this is a situation in which Ryan Weber gives a surprisingly decent start. And with the Boston Red Sox, you got to think that if you need them in long relief, Zach Godley. Yes, Zach Godley could possibly be able to give you like three or four strong innings. We actually saw it in the team's game on Monday against the Mets. He winds up coming in. He might be the second best pitcher on this team to Nathan Eovaldi. Now you wound up using Brendan Workman along with Matt Barnes. Both these guys are not going to be available in the bullpen for the Boston Red Sox, but I do think that they are going to be able to get some long relief in this spot. I do think that the Yankees, even though they do have a little bit of everything going on, Miguel Andujar is back to full. DJ LeMayu has been able to do a solid job ever since coming off of COVID-19. You've obviously got Gleyber Torres, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, all the power bats. I do think that they are going to be halted a little bit. Gio Urshela is not hitting the way that he did last year. Gary Sanchez right now has as many hits as myself. That is not necessarily going well for them. I think that the Boston Red Sox keep this thing out in front of them, and I think that they're going to be able to win a surprisingly low-scoring game. So for that reason, we're going to be going with this total under, and we're going to be taking the big plus price here in the big rivalry with the Boston Red Sox. We move on to 909-910 on the bang board. you got the Cincinnati Reds who are hitting the road to face off against the Detroit Tigers. Spencer Turnbull is going to be going for the Detroit Tigers. Meanwhile, for the Cincinnati Reds, since they wound up getting their game rained out on Thursday, they're going to be going with one Luis Castillo, who is supposed to be going in the game on Thursday. So for that reason, this game is presently off the board. You were seeing before the Cincinnati Reds right around like a minus 145, minus 150-ish favorite before they wound up putting in their Luis Castillo. You got to think that this is a number that is going to be on the rise because with Luis Castillo, this is someone that was dominant during the 2019 season. Came out with six strong innings, gave up one run in his first start of 2020. Now walks can be a little bit of an issue. He winds up giving up right around 3.9-ish walks per nine innings, but he really doesn't get taken deep and he pitches in a ballpark in Cincinnati that it is very hitter friendly. He's going to be pitching at a ballpark in Detroit in which center field is out at 400 and 20 feet, considering he already gives up right around one home run per nine innings over the last year plus. That is going to be a big advantage for him with the Cincinnati Reds. They are going to have a rested bullpen with guys like Amir Garrett, Rossiel Glacius, Pedro Storp and company out there for this team. And meanwhile, for the Detroit Tigers, this is a team that they've really had to run through their bullpen arms so far this year because they haven't necessarily been able to get the world's greatest starts. Now, Ivan Nova was able to go and give them some length on Thursday. He was able to go five and two-thirds innings. That certainly helps this team out, but Jose Cisterno has been just used time and time again. And with the Detroit Tigers, you just don't know what you're going to be able to get out of these bats. Johnson's Cope along with CJ Crone have been both nice additions. With Crone, he's got 345 on bases despite a 174 average. And for Mr. Scope, he's been able to give this team a couple home runs already, three so far this year. And Miguel Cabrera, three home runs this year after he could not buy a home run to save his life during the 2019 campaign. He's come in in good shape, but with that said, this is a team that they're relying upon Jacoby Jones right now to really get on base. He's hitting a 409 in the 9 hole, so I do give him a lot of credit. Then when you take a look at the other side for the Cincinnati Reds, you bring in Mike Moustakis in the offseason along with Nick Cassianos. Cassianos, obviously a former Detroit Tiger. Both these guys have been able to do a little bit of something whenever they've been out there on the field. 
It is one of these situations in which Mike Lusakis wound up missing a couple days due to illness, but I do think that they are going to be able to get to Detroit. I think that the bullpen of Detroit is really going to be showing the fact that they are truly poopy. They've actually been playing a little bit above their heads, in my opinion, to begin the year. And for the Cincinnati Reds, what else I think is big is the fact that you've got Eugenio Suarez and guys like this that have not really been able to hit for a lot of average, but in those last couple games against the Chicago Cubs, they were able to bust out. Joey Votto has been doing a great job of getting on base. I think that they are just going to be able to pound the Detroit Tigers in the spot. And for Spencer Turnbull, obviously a very good start to begin the year against the Reds. He was able to give the team, I believe it was six strong innings that he actually outdueled in that game, Trevor Bauer. But I think seeing him a second time going to be big for the Reds. Reds are in a revenge spot considering the fact that the Detroit Tigers took two of three from them last week. So for that reason, riding with the Cincinnati Reds in this spot, and we're going to be taking this total over. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting board. you got the New York Mets in the road to face off against the Atlanta Braves. Sean Newcomb goes for the Atlanta Braves. Rick Porcello is going to be going for the Mets, and your total on this game is 10 with the under being anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115 juice. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. If you're looking at the Metropolitans, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 119 and plus 121. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Bravos, you're laying anywhere between minus 129 and minus 132. And I'm going to be taking a look at the New York Mets in this spot. They are coming off two very bad losses to the Boston Red Sox, but what you actually have as an advantage in this game is that Jurisic Familia, Spanish for blown save, along with Edwin Diaz, wound up getting used up on Thursday. That actually makes me like them a whole heck of a lot more in this spot because I don't trust either of those guys. They are absolutely terrible. I don't understand why they're eighth and ninth inning arms. They just have not been able to get the job done. Meanwhile, you'll probably have Seth Lugo available. And for the New York Mets, I do think that this is a good spot for them as well because I do think that they are going to be able to get some power out of Yoan Cespedes. He's been off to a rough start, hitting a buck 82. And for the New York Mets, they had their opportunities on Thursday against the Boston Red Sox. They wind up going 1 of 10 with men in scoring position. But the guy that I really like that has been able to give this team a little bit of something in his first two games of his career, Andres Jimenez. He's a young 21-year-old. He's a very versatile player. He's not necessarily a guy that's going to barrel up the ball and hit a bunch of bombs, but he gives this team some nice speed out there on the base pass. Brian Dozier has been about as useful as a poopy-flavored lollipop along with Wilson Ramos, but with that said, you still have a guy in Jeff McNeil that's hitting above a 300. He was great for the team last year. J.D. Davis does a good job of being able to barrel up the ball, and then Michael Conforto has been solid as well. And then when you take a look at Rick Barcel, he is a guy that does the exact opposite of what you think he's going to do. It certainly was not the best of outings the last time Barcel wound up taking the mound against the Atlanta Braves. He winds up giving up six runs over the course of two innings. I think he's going to be able to do a little bit better in this spot. Now, when you take a look at what you're going to be able to get out of the Atlanta Braves, it is a little bit suspect. The outfield is not being able to hit very well. Ender Enciarte is hitting below the Mendoza line. Austin Riley, Adam Duvall. These guys have not necessarily been able to put it together. And then when you take a look at the flip side, this is certainly a New York Reds team that they haven't been able to get out of their own way themselves. You wind up Cespedes is hitting below the Mendoza line. Jeff McNeil was able to hit well last year, but with that said, you need a little bit more out of some of the other guys as well. Robinson Cano is getting up there in years. Dominic Smith has been able to give this team right around a 290. But the good news for the New York Mets is that they're going to have Seth Lugo available. And I actually do upgrade the Mets a little bit more because they used up Jurisic Familia, who's Spanish for blown save on Thursday, along with Edwin Diaz. We saw what he was able to do in that game, so certainly a little bit of a tough spot. And for the New York Mets, you are coming into a bad situation because this is a team that they wind up losing two straight games to the Boston Red Sox. They weren't able to get a whole lot of offense generated in that game on Thursday either. J.D. Davis has been able to do an okay job, but even Pete Alonso, you figured that there was going to be a little bit of regression with him. 222 average. I believe he has just one home run so far this year. Brian Dozier 
has been about as useful as a poopy flavored lollipop. I do have to go with the Atlanta Braves because I do think that Ronald Cunha Jr. along with Ozzy Albies, two guys hitting right around the Mendoza line, they are going to be able to do a little bit better in this spot. And I do think that Rick Porcell is going to be able to give you a little bit more of something. And then when you take a look at the other side for Sean Newcomb, it always feels like he's got the quick hook whenever he's pitching for the Atlanta Braves. He actually wound up giving up just one run in his last start against the New York Mets, but they didn't wind up letting him finish up the fourth inning. Now, you do have quite a few bullpen arms that are trustworthy that are going to be available for the Atlanta Braves. They wound up using Tuki Toussaint in a long relief appearance to be able to save part of that bullpen because the Rays series was very crazy for them. But for the Atlanta Braves, you have to think that someone like a Darren O'Day is going to be available. They wound up using Shane Green, but he used a grand total of one pitch in the team's game on Thursday against the Tampa Bay Rays. So he should be free and clear. Mark Melanson wound up getting the save in that one. So you've got a lot of trustworthy arms for the Atlanta Braves. I think it's going to be a little bit lower scoring. So for that reason, we are going to be taking the Atlanta Braves in the spot and we're going to be taking this total under. We move on to 9-13, 9-14 on the bang board. The Washington Nationals and the Miami Marlins. Well, we all know what's happened to this game. It's not going to be played. Thanks for nothing, Miami Marlins. You guys suck. Next game up, 9-15, 9-16 on the bang board. You've got the Chicago White Sox hitting the road to face off against the Kansas City Royals. I'm not even kidding when I say this name. Making his major league debut, Chris Bubich. B-U-B-I-C. It is pronounced Bubich. And Bubich is going to be facing off against Dallas Keuchel of the Chicago White Sox. If you're looking at taking the boob, you are going to be getting a little bit of a booby trap price here. Anywhere between plus 155 and plus 160. We're going to see how many boob jokes I can get in within the next about three or so minutes. As it is the Chicago White Sox laying anywhere between minus 170 and minus 175. Total on this game ranging between 9.5 and 10 on the 9.5. Over juice anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even and minus 105. On the 10s, flip it. Unders anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Overs anywhere between even and minus 105. And this is certainly a spot in which I'm not going to be looking at the booby trap. With Bubich, he looked very good in his minor league stints with the Kansas City Royals. At single-A baseball and like high-A baseball, he had a 240 or so ERA. He was able to perform very well. Between Wilmington and Lexington, 11-5 record, 223 ERA. He wound up going about 149 in the third innings, and he really got some strikeouts. 11.1 strikeouts per nine innings. A few years ago, he was pitching for Stanford out there in college baseball. Last year being in 2018, and he was 8-1 with a 262 ERA. Your concern with them is, is he going to be able to give this team a lot of length? You just don't know how that is going to go. He's always been able to do a good job of not allowing hard contact, but if there was one issue that he had at Stanford, it was the fact that throughout his college career, he would walk a lot of guys. During his college career, 3.6 walks per nine innings. He looked a little bit better in the minors last year, but... He is now going to be facing off against a Chicago White Sox team that they've got all sorts of mashers, and they had a very bad start to their series against the Cleveland Indians a few days ago, and then on Wednesday in the last game of the series, they erupt for four runs in the ninth inning to be able to win that game. You've got the reigning batting champ in Tim Anderson, who's all of a sudden been able to find something. Yohan Moncada is hitting a 333. He gives you a little bit of something. Yasmany Grandal along with Edwin Encarnacion. They're both hitting below the Mendoza line along with Lurie's Garcia, but you have to like the fact that Adam Engel along with Luis Robert out there in the outfield. And for that matter, Eloy Jimenez, all three of these guys are hitting a 348 or higher. That is a three-headed monster out there in the outfield with Robert. you got to think that this is a prime rookie of the year contender. And then when you look at the White Sox, you do have to like the fact that this is a team that they've got a solid bullpen. Aaron Bummer is certainly not a bum. He, Alex Colome, Evan Marshall, you've even got Steve Ciszek. They're all able to give you some very functional innings. And with the Kansas City Royals bullpen, it's actually been halfway decent so far this year, but 
I will say this. It is one that has been heavily taxed. You wound up having to go to Greg Holland, Trevor Rosenthal, and Ian Kennedy in the game yesterday. You got to think that at minimum, two of these guys probably not going to be in the fold for this game. That puts them a little bit behind the eight ball. For the Kansas City Royals, they're able to put runs up on the board themselves. You take a look at Dallas Keuchel during the 2019 campaign. He had an ERA that was just below four. He did give up a little bit of hard contact. You can tell that his command wasn't necessarily what it was in past years. Whit Merrifield is a guy that's really able to do a little bit of everything. 333 average. He's already got multiple home runs. I think that Salvador Perez at some point is going to be I'll pick it up, and Mikel Franco has been a very nice addition for this team. He's hitting at 286. He's got a pair of home runs. Adelberto Mondesi has some of the best speed that you're going to find out there in the base paths in this team, and even Bubba Starlin has been able to hit a 300 for this bunch. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think the White Sox just motor right through Boobich for a whole bunch of runs. I think that it's just going to be a very, very sticky situation for the Kansas City Royals. So, for that reason, we are taking the over, and we're going to be taking the White Sox run line, as I'm seeing it right now. White Sox run line is pretty much minus 110 across the board, so we're riding with that when we're going to be riding with the over as well. 9-17, 9-18 on the bang board. You've got the Cleveland Indians, and they're in the road to face off against the Minnesota Twins. Randy Dobnik is going to be going for the Twinkies. Meanwhile, Mike Clevenger goes for the Cleveland Indians. This is one of these situations in which we did not know the pitching matchup until the afternoon. So we have no numbers on this game. And with Mike Clevenger, he was absolutely terrific during the 2019 campaign. He winds up getting off to a little bit of a rough start to the 2020 season. But it's not necessarily because he wound up pitching terribly against the Kansas City Royals in his first start of the season. He winds up giving up two runs. He still looked like his normal self. So I don't really have a whole lot of concerns there. Meanwhile, for the Minnesota Twins, three runs are fear for this team in three of their last five games. That is something that you don't expect from this bunch and with the Cleveland Indians all of a sudden Francisco Lindor now has two home runs he certainly has not been able to hit for average at a 207 but while he was hot and the other man Jose Ramirez was cold during the 2019 campaign it's the exact opposite this year Jose Ramirez 440 batting average on base above a 500 he has been absolutely terrific Famiel Reyes was able to get two hits on Thursday that's big because this is someone that ever since he got to Cleveland just has not been able to pick it up Carlos Santana He's playing the beat of a 464 on base. And then Bradley Zimmer, you got to give him a little bit of credit. This is someone that has had his ups and his downs in his career, to say the least. Just has not been able to stay out there on the field the last couple years. He wound up hitting a home run in that series against the White Sox. He looks to be a little bit more resurgent. And then you've got Domingo Santana, who's been able to do a decent job of getting on base. Now, you do want to note this. Roberto Perez, normal catcher for this team. He's going to be out for a while. So you've got Sandy Leone, who's not necessarily a good hitter. But with that said, with the Minnesota Twins, I do think that Randy Dobnik is going to be able to give this team a solid start. You take a look at Dobnik and what he did during the regular season in 2019. He had an ERA that was below two. He was used in long relief in a couple times, and he wound up getting a couple starts as well. And in his first start of the year, he wound up going four innings, and he gave up one run to the White Sox from there. The bullpen wound up choking that game away. So I do think that Dobnik is going to be able to keep this game out in front of him. So I'm going to be looking at this total under. you got to think the Cleveland Indians are going to be a favorite here. The question becomes what sort of a favorite are they going to be? If they're somewhere in the neighborhood of like a 140-ish, I'm certainly going to be taking a look at the Indians. If they're say a 175, which I fear they're going to be, I think you might have some value here with the Minnesota Twins. And if this total is north of 8, I'm probably going to wind up taking it under. Especially with this being a pitcher-friendly ballpark. But as per usual, since we we don't have numbers up on this game currently. Check back on my Twitter feed at GRN41 for set plays there. 919-920 on the banging board. You got the Colorado Rockies, and they're going to be playing mostly San Diego Padres. 
Garrett Richards is going to be going for the pods. Meanwhile, John Gray goes for the Colorado Rockies. Your total on this game is 11.5. Over juice anywhere between minus 115 to minus 120. The under is anywhere between even to minus 105. If you're looking at the Rockies, very slight favorites here. Anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. Meanwhile, with the Padres, anywhere between even to minus 105. With Richards, looked very good in his first start of 2020. He winds up being able to give the team... Well, more than three innings, which is more than what you could say for what he did pretty much during the 2019 campaign, but he was able to go five scoreless innings against the Arizona Diamondbacks. That's exactly what you wanted to see. Six punch-outs. You did wind up walking three. That's a little bit of an issue, but you take a look at Garrett Richards, and you see a man that's just never been able to stay healthy. Six starts in 2016. Six starts in 2017. He wanted to make it 16 in 2018 and then three last year, and he's made one so far this year. So that is no doubt been a woe. In that time span, he's got an ERA that's hovering right around like a 328. So it's not like he's necessarily been terrible, but with all the injuries, you have to question length. And with John Gray, he looked terrific in his first start against the Texas Rangers. He winds up being able to go four and two-thirds innings. He gives up one run in the process. Did wind up walking a couple too many guys, but I think that he's going to be able to right the ship with that regard. And when you take a look at what he did during the 2019 campaign, there were so many guys that they just weren't able to figure out how to pitch at Coors Field. It felt like he was the only guy in the rotation that he was going to be able to give you a good, honest effort. He wound up having his season ended a little bit early due to injury, but when he pitched at Coors Field during the 2019 season, 6-2 and two record, 3.46 ERA, and 75 in the third innings, he gave up 8 home runs. That is actually really, really good for Coors Field, and he wound up being able to get right around 8.5 punch outs per 9 innings. So, I do like what I'm getting with John Gray, and what we've noticed with the Colorado Rockies, this bullpen with guys like Jario Diaz and company being able to step up, it's very good. Scott Oberg began the year injured. It looks like he should have a chance to be able to be able to pitch in this game, so I do like that for the Colorado Rockies. And then when you dig a look at these Sunday Algo Padres, this is a team that it just seems like they're getting all their runs in one inning. They've got five plus runs in each other last four games, but the last game of the Arizona series, they put up five runs in the fourth inning. You take a look at what they wind up doing in their first game against the San Francisco Giants. They wind up hanging in a three spot in the third inning, a two spot in the fourth, no other scoring pass at. You take a look at what they did on Wednesday. They wind up putting up four runs out of their six in the fourth inning. And then what they did on Thursday, they wind up putting up two runs in the sixth, two runs in the fourth. So it was a little bit more balanced there. But by and large, you just have to wait for that one explosion with the San Diego Padres. And I think that John Gray is going to do a good job of holding it down because you really don't have anyone other than Ty France that's sitting above a 300 for this bunch. Francisco Mejia has been absolutely useless for this team. Jerickson Profire is picking up right where he left off with the Oakland A's. One swing and a miss at a time. Tommy Pham has been not necessarily doing the best job with average, but he's been able to get on base. And you could say that for a lot of guys. Fernando Tatis Jr., Trent Grisham, Manny Machado, Tommy Pham, all 345 on base or better. And with Manny Machado, he's only getting at 240, but you have been able to get something out of Fernando Tatis Jr. with regards to home run power. So you do have to like that. And with the San Diego Padres, this is still a very elite bullpen. Kirby Yates was the best closer in the big leagues in 2019. Luis Perdomo won up being used yesterday, so he's not going to be in the fold for this team, but you got to think that someone like your Craig Stamen is going to be available in this spot as well. They've got so much depth with the guards at bullpen. Emilio Pagan is another guy that comes to mind, but in the end, I think that the Rockies are going to be able to get to him. This is a team that they consistently put up the most runs per game at home of any team out there in baseball. Trevor Story already has multiple home runs. He's hitting nearly 280. Even Tony Walters has been able to give this team a couple RBI. Nolan Arenado, you got to think, is going to be able to do Nolan Arenado things. David Dahl 
is hitting just a 227 right now, but I think that he's going to be able to pick it up. And then Matt Kemp has actually been able to give this team a couple at-bats as well. And then you got Sam Hilliard, who wound up hitting a home run in that series against the Oakland A's. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower-scoring game because the Colorado Rockies this year are built a little bit more on pitching than they have been in the past. You've got guys like Aaron Hampson and company that they're not giving you the best of at-bats. So for that reason, I'm going to wind up taking this total under, and I'm going to wind up riding with the Colorado Rockies, knowing that this is a Colorado Rockies team that they certainly played some very wild and crazy games against the San Diego Padres during the summer of 2019. We move on to game number 921-922 on the betting board. You've got yourself the Chicago Cubs playing host to the Pittsburgh Pirates. It was supposed to be a different start for the Chicago Cubs, but due to the rainout that we saw yesterday, it's going to be you Darvish, who's going to be going for the Cubbies. Meanwhile, Trevor Williams is going to be going for the Pittsburgh Pirates. When this line was initially posted, you were seeing the Pittsburgh Pirates as right around about a plus-170 underdog, and you were seeing the Cubs at minus-190. You never get a total on the board the night before in a game in Wrigley Field, which is exactly where this game is being played, so that is to be determined, but I actually like the Pittsburgh Pirates in this spot because Hugh Darvish has some of the strangest splits of any pitcher that you're going to find in baseball. He looked terrible in his first start of the year against the Milwaukee Brewers, and he's picking up right where he left off in 2019. Over the last two years in Wrigley Field, he's got an ERA that hovers right around five. He is absolutely terrible at home, and then when he goes on the road, he has more like a 3-3 ERA. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, but that's exactly who you Darvish is. And in that first start of the year against the Milwaukee Brewers, only four innings by him. He did not wind up walking anyone, but he just gives up a lot of contact in general. And meanwhile, for Trevor Williams, this guy actually had the best ERA in the big leagues after the All-Star break in 2018. In 2019, he had an injury riddle campaign. He could not get things going. As a result, he had an ERA that was right around a 538. He was a hot mess. I was putting it very politely, but I do think that this is someone that's going to be able to find a little bit of something. First start of the year did not go as planned. Three and two-thirds innings. He winds up giving up three runs, but what I do like about this guy is the fact that he does a good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard and I think that he's going to be able to do so as long as he's able to not have like completely ridiculous wind out there with Chicago. This is one of these situations in which the total is going to rely upon the wind. I'm not even going to try to speculate here and we do notice that the wind can sometimes cause as much of a three run difference with regards to the total so we're not going to try to speculate there but one thing that I do know Colin Moran is doing a great job with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Three home runs already so far this year for RBI. He's hitting a 300 you got a couple guys that you think are going to be able to pick it up as well with the Pittsburgh Pirates. As you had so many guys that were hitting a 300 or better during the 2019 campaign that have not been able to get it going. Josh Bell, Adam Frazier, Brian Reynolds, Gregory Polanco, along with Jacob Stallings. They are all hitting below a 175. They are all going to be able to pick it up. Heck, you even take a look at the shortstop in Eric Gonzalez. He has been a hot mess so far this year. Drod Dyson is hitting a 071. This is a team that I think is really going to be able to get things going. And then when you take a look at the Chicago Cubs, obviously you've got yourself some mashers. Anthony Rizzo, three home runs so far this year. Nico Horner has been able to get on base at the bottom of the fold. Ian App is only getting a 211, but he's been able to take some walks. He's got a pair of home runs so far this year. Javi Baez, he had a two-home run game in that series against the Cincinnati Reds. You know what he's capable of. And then you've got even a guy like a Victor Garantini that does a good job of being able to get on base. It used to be that he was a little bit more of a platoon guy. Now with the DH, he's able to be in there a little bit more consistently. And Chris Bryant is not going to hit a 091 all year long. No way fans are about that day, but Bodie has been able to get on base. So this certainly 
is a spot in which if you get a respectable total, probably going to be taking it over. I know that I said I wasn't going to speculate on the total, but I just did. But I do think that there is going to be some value here on the Pirates. If we wind up seeing what we were seeing before this game was taken off the board, I'm probably going to be looking at the Pirates and the over. But as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41 for some plays there. We move on to 923, 924 on the betting board. The Houston Astros hit the road to face off against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Matt Andres is going to be going for the Dodgers. Meanwhile, Lance McCullers Jr. is going to be going for the Houston Astros. Your total on this game is 9.5. Unders is anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125. Overs anywhere between even to minus 105. If you're looking at the Strohs, you're going to be laying minus 165. Meanwhile, with the Angels, anywhere between plus 150 and plus 153. Now, there is absolutely no value with the LA Angels. As Mike Trout is currently on paternity leave, he is going to be missing this game. I will say Matt Andres in long relief looked very good against the Oakland A's. He wound up doing so on Sunday because Shohei Otani, he did Shohei Otani things and he wound up getting the start in that game. He got as many outs as Greg Peterson. That's all that needs to be said there. And from there, Matt Andres, five and two-thirds innings. He gives up three hits, no runs, five strikeouts. This is someone that I've always thought has been a little bit underrated. He was really a long relief guy during the 2019 campaign with the Arizona Diamondbacks and he deserved better than what he got. He wound up posting an 0-5 record in 54 appearances in a 471 ERA but what I liked about him is that he had had a strikeout to walk rate right around a three, so he was able to hold down the fort with that regard. He does a solid job when it comes to being able to keep the ball in the yard, and as we know, the ballpark out there in Los Angeles, it does play a little bit more pitcher-friendly during the nighttime, but you got to think that those Houston Astros are going to be very, very angry after they wound up getting swept by the LA Dodgers, and we all know what Joe Kelly wound up doing to them, and we know this with the Houston Astros as well. They've got so many guys that wound up hitting a 280 or greater during the 2019 campaign, and they were all able to give the team 20-plus home runs. I'm talking about George Springer, Michael Brantley, Jose Altuve, along with Alex Bregman, Carlos Correa, Yuri Gurriel. list goes on and on. And heck, Martin Maldonado is all of a sudden ending at 294 so far this year, so you have to like what he brings to the table. Kyle Tucker has been seeing some more action. He's been scuffling a little bit, but I think he's going to be able to pick it up. You even have some guys that are able to come in off the bench, and they're able to do a little bit of something like a Jack Mayfield, so they certainly are locked and loaded with that regard. And even for the Angels, despite not having Mike Trout in, no doubt not having Mike Trout, that is going to hurt this team, no question about it, but you still have Shohei Otani who was able to get a home run in that series against the Seattle Mariners. You've got someone in Tommy LaSalle that before getting hurt during the 2019 campaign was actually doing a very good job for them. Now Albert Pujols is anxious and Anthony Rendon is off to a little bit of a rough start, but you've got to think that he's going to be able to pick it up. And then you've also got a pair of guys in David Fletcher along with Brian Goodwin that are hitting above a 350. They've both been able to get on base, so I do think that there's going to be some run scored in this game. Now with Lance McCullers, he is coming off of Tommy John surgery, but in his first start of the campaign, he looked very good. Now, that was against the Seattle Mariners as well, but with that said, I do think that he's going to be able to give six solid innings. Question with the Houston Astros is the bullpen. I think that that bullpen gives up a run or two. I'm going to be taking this total over and in this spot have to ride with the Houston Astros. We move on to 925-926 on the betting board. The San Francisco Giants are going to be playing against the Texas Rangers. Mike Miner goes for the Rangers. Meanwhile, it is going to be Logan Webb going for the San Francisco Giants. Total on this game is 8. Unders anywhere between minus 115 and minus 110. The overs anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. And if you're looking at the Rangers, anywhere between minus 138 and minus 145. Meanwhile, if you like the San Francisco Giants, anywhere between plus 125 and plus 135. And this is certainly a situation in which I'm going to be taking a look at, believe it or not, the San Francisco Giants once again. Now, they wound up having just a comedy of issues on Thursday. They wind up stranding eight men on base in the first five innings and going 0 of 8 with men in scoring position. But this offense all of a sudden looks 
a little bit better because now you've got Evan Longoria along with Brandon Belt back in the fold. I have no idea what is going on with regards to the pitching situation with the San Francisco Giants because Gabe Kapler is trying to keep us all off guard. As of right now, it's going to be Logan Webb. But in the end, we might wind up seeing the Loch Ness Monster as a starting pitcher for this team. But with that said, what you also have with the San Francisco Giants, Mikey Stremski, who was able to hit that walk-off home run a couple days ago. He has been very solid for this team. He's got an on-base percentage above a 450. Austin Dickerson is able to give this team a little bit of something. And Donovan Solano hitting above a 400. He had a big home run in that series against the San Diego Padres as well. And then when you take a look at what you're getting on the other side with the Texas Rangers, this is a team that, other than Joey Gallo, nobody's hitting right now. Joey Gallo was able to really lift that team in the game a couple days ago against the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's had a pair of home runs so far this year, but past that, it's really barren. Nick Solak is hitting above a 300. Nobody else in the starting lineup is hitting above a 267. It's absolutely terrible. Sin Chu Chu is hitting a 077. You're not able to get a whole heck of a lot out of the Todd Father, though he did wind up going 3 of 4 in the Team's last game on Wednesday. That's a little bit something. Elvis Sanders, 381 on base. He's not necessarily hitting for average. Rudin and Odor is hitting below the Mendoza line. That's par for the course here in 2020. And then you've just got guys that are at the catcher spot that aren't able to do a whole lot of something. Willie Calhoun is right now hitting as well as I am at a 0-0-0. And then when you take a look at the San Francisco Giants, if you do have something that you like about this team, it is the fact that they've got a solid bullpen, but they wound up trotting through a whole bunch of their bullpen arms on Thursday against the San Diego Padres. And for the Texas Rangers, they've been doing an okay job with regards to the bullpen, but I just question how long they're going to be able to keep this going because Jose Leclerc is a guy that has been just all over the place throughout his career. You've got some long guys like a Jesse Chavez, even a Joe Palumbo if needed. He's okay. Nick Goody is someone that I don't put a whole heck of a lot of stock into. You don't know what you're going to be able to get out of these guys from game to game. I think that the San Francisco Giants are going to be able to do a solid job at home. And for Mike Miner, he was incredibly lucky during the 2019 campaign. Out of all the pitchers in the major leagues, he was in the top five with regards to the best ERA as compared to what their fielding independent indicates that their ERA should have been. And in his first start of the year, he winds up going five innings. He gets six strikeouts, but I do think that there's going to be regression coming in for Mr. Minor as during the 2019 campaign, you could tell that the second half of the year, it started to deflate on him a little bit more. I think that the deflation is going to continue. So we are going to be going with the San Francisco Giants, and we're going to be going with the total over as well. 927-928 on the bank board. The Los Angeles Dodgers are going to be hitting the road faceoff against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Zach Gallen goes for the D-backs. Meanwhile, you've got Tony Gonsal who's going to be going for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Dodgers are anywhere between minus 139 and minus 145 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the D-backs, anywhere between plus 127 and plus 133. With the LA Dodgers, I don't know what sort of length you're going to be able to get out of Tony Gonsolin. Now, it did help him out that Ross Stripling was able to give them a pretty nice start on Thursday. Stripling, one of the better starters that this team has to offer at this point, but you did have to wind up using Adam Cloreric in that spot, and for the Arizona Diamondbacks, obviously, you wind up having to use a bevy of arms as well, but I do think that Zach Allen is going to be able to give a good start. He has given up three earned runs or fewer in every one of his starts to begin his career. That is over 15 starts, so I like what he's able to bring to the table. Now, he only went four innings in his first start of 2020 against the San Diego Padres, but this is someone that does a good job of being able to get swings and misses. Walks have always been an issue. I think that he's going to offer fewer walks in this matchup. Meanwhile, you take a look at Gonsolin. During the 2019 season, he wound up seeing action in 11 total games, six total starts. He was used as a long reliever slash 
a four or five inning guy when it comes to starts, and I think that he's going to be used in that capacity once again this year. And in that role, he wound up having a 293 ERA. He did have a couple unearned runs that get plated on him, and when he does a good job of is keeping the ball in the yard, he wound up giving up right around .9 home runs per nine innings, but he also has a little bit of an issue when it comes to walks. He wound up giving up right around three and a half walks per nine innings, and that's going to help out an Arizona Diamondbacks team that Let's face it, they haven't necessarily been able to get out of their own way when it comes to the bats. They just have not really been able to break that four-run plateau. Now, you do have the Martes, Sterling, and Cattell Marte. They're both hitting above a 300 along with Christian Walker. They would be able to get the job done. But Cole Calhoun, Eduardo Escobar, David Peralta, Carson Kelly, Jake Lamb, Tim LaCastro, along with Nick Amad. What do these guys all have in common? They're all hitting at the Mendoza line or lower, which is 200. That is not necessarily great. Now with the LA Dodgers, you certainly do have a couple scuffling bats. Mookie Betts has just not necessarily delivered on that big contract. You got to think that he's going to be able to turn it around at some point. Chris Taylor's hitting right around the Mendoza line. Kike Hernandez, after a good start to the year, he's been scuffling. Cody Bellinger is hitting below a 200 as well. That's a little bit surprising. And Will Smith not getting jiggy with it. He's got like one hit so far this year, so that's certainly not promising, but you do have someone that I like in AJ Pollock, who has been absolutely terrific for the team. He was able to get a home run for the team on Thursday along with Corey Seager and Max Muncy. They've been able to deliver. I do think that this is a little bit too high of a total low because I do think that Zach Allen is going to be able to give a good start. I think that Gonsolin is going to be able to keep things out in front of him for LA as well, but I think that the LA bullpen is going to give up a little bit of something. I do think that Archie Bradley has a good chance to be able to close out a game for the Arizona of the Dynamics as well, so for that reason, I am going to wind up taking this total under and I'm going to be riding with the Arizona Diamondbacks. And we wrap things up with 929-930 on the Las Vegas betting board. The Oakland A's are going to be hitting the road to face off against the Seattle Mariners. Taiwan Walker is going to be going for the Seattle Mariners. Sean Manea for the Oakland A's. And if you're looking at this total, it is anywhere between 8.5 and, and 9. On the 8.5, over juice of minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you are looking at the 9s, the over is just anywhere between even a minus 105. The under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. And with the A's, going to be finding them as high as minus 185, as low as minus 178. Meanwhile, with the Seattle Mariners, anywhere between plus 162 and plus 165. Ladies and gentlemen, the Seattle Mariners have a chance at a winning streak. Who thought we would ever be saying that? But the Seattle Mariners have been able to do a decent job. Daniel Vogelback was able to give the team quite a few home runs last year, 30-plus. With that said, he's certainly not a batting average guy. He's hitting below 100 so far this year. And you did have to like the fact that you've got a guy with a very interesting name in Jose Marmalajos. Hopefully I said that one correctly. He was able to give the team a home run in their win on Thursday as well. Kyle Seager along with Kyle Lewis. These guys are combining it like a 350. That has been absolutely terrific for this team. And they even got something out of Shed Long. Tim Lopez, J.P. Crawford, they're both hitting above a 300, but you do have your feast and famine bats. And with the Seattle Mariners, what you need to know, this bullpen is absolutely terrible. They were saved Thursday by the fact that they were able to get a terrific start out of Marco Gonzalez, who gave up two unearned runs. So he was able to do his job there. But with that said, now you've got the less than trustworthy guys because Carl Edwards Jr. wound up getting used up on Thursday. And then when you take a look at the Oakland A's, this is a team that they typically hit left-handers much better than righties. But Taiwan Walker... What are you going to be able to get out of this guy? He was so badly banged up the last couple years that he just hasn't taken the mound very much. In his first start of the year against the Houston Astros, I will say it was against the Houston Astros, it didn't necessarily go as planned as he wound up in that game going three and a third innings, giving up five runs, all of which were earned. And for that matter, this is someone that is making his sixth start since the beginning of the 2018 season. So he certainly hasn't been banged up. And the last time he consistently pitched was for the Arizona Diamondbacks during the 2017 season. He had a 349 ERA, but even back then, 2.4 
strikeout to walk rate. He doesn't necessarily do the best job of keeping the ball in the yard, so that certainly is a bit of an issue for him with the Oakland A's. You still have guys like Matt Chapman that are able to take you deep. You do have to like the fact that Marcana was able to get a home run in that series against Colorado Rockies. He certainly has not been doing the best of jobs over the last couple years with regards to average, but it looks like he's getting on track this year. Matt Olson has been off to a little bit of a rocky start along with Marcus Simeon, but they're going to come along, and then Ramon Loreno hitting a 350. He's got good pop in the bat. I like what he's doing. Steven Biscotti a little bit of a rough start, but you've even got someone in the outfield in Robbie Grossman who's hitting a 400. I've always felt like he was one of the more underrated bats in this lineup, so I do think that runs are going to be scored in this game. I do think that Sean Manea, who looked terrific coming off of his rehab during the 2019 campaign and his starts, he had an ERA that was south of two. He wound up getting a little bit lit up in his first start of the year against the LA Angels. In that start, he winds up going a grand total of four and two-thirds innings and winds up giving up four runs in the process, but I think he's going to be a little bit more sharp in this one. He does a good job of not giving out free passes. I do think that the Mariners are going to be able to get a couple runs up there on the board, but with that said, I think that the A's are really going to be able to plaster them. With the A's run line, you're finding it right around a minus 115 as I do this podcast. It might be closer to minus 120 slash minus 125 by the time you hear this, but we're going to be riding with the A's run line and the total over, and then we'll wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Friday. A big thanks to our good friend out there in the state of Wisconsin, Matt Pauly, for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you ever have any questions for the podcast, write it into my timeline at yours41. Hopefully you're all safe, I'll be doing well, and I will talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you.